Let me tell you about a real, real guy named Charlie Riggs. Became a Christian in the mid-1900s through the, uh, through the Navigators, uh, the Ministry of the Navigators, which is a discipleship group, uh, uh, very heavy on uh, scripture uh, memorization and reading and, and study. Uh, a great organization, and, and they, put, they give you, when you become a Christian, they give you a mentor, a discipler, and so it really is all about discipleship, and that's really where, where we want to be as a church as well. Um, so Charlie Riggs, uh, he was kind of rough around the edges. His mentor was a guy named Lorne Sanny, and Lorne was almost ready to give up on Charlie Riggs. He just, it seemed almost impossible to, to disciple this guy, but Lorne's uh, mentor said, don't give up on Charlie. You never know what God is going to do with him. A few years later, um, the Billy Graham crusade was starting to, to kind of take off. And so they came to the navigators and wondered if they had anybody that they could loan to them so that they could uh, use these people to help them get the, the crusades up, up and, and running. This is right before the big one in Madison Square Garden in New York City. And so they gave Charlie Riggs to the Billy Graham crusade. And, and at first, Billy Graham even said, I'm not so sure about Charlie, not so sure about him because... Uh, uh, all he does is, I mean, yeah, he memorizes scripture, that's good, and he prays a lot, but I, I'm not sure that we can give him this kind of task. What they were asking Charlie to do was to do the follow-up after the big revival would happen. Well, they took a risk. They took a risk, and, and, and Billy Graham said, you know what, even though uh, I, I have some misgivings, he said, listen, I, this is the one thing I do know about Charlie. Charlie listens to the Holy Spirit, and I, I know Charlie can't do this, but I think maybe God can do this through Charlie, and I do have a picture of uh, Billy Graham and Charlie together there. Um, it, it was pretty amazing uh, because Charlie got involved, and to this day, they still use the follow-up method that Charlie brought to the Billy Graham crusade. So it, yes, in, indeed, God did it through Charlie. And, and in Charlie's own words, that they asked him, so why were you so fruitful in God's kingdom? And he said, well, listen, I've always prayed this. Lord, put me in over my head. Put me in over my head. Uh, that way I'll have to rely on you to save me, to help me, or I'm sunk. Isn't that a great attitude? Isn't that a great philosophy, uh, theology to live your life by in faith to say, God, put me in over my head. That way I, I have to rely on you. And if you don't show up, I am sunk. Talk about an amazing way of living. It reminds me of the story that I wanted to share with you today in our flannel graph foundations, our Sunday school stories uh, with our flannel board over here. So it is the story found in Matthew chapter 14, and it's about Jesus walking on the water. The story goes, Jesus had just fed the multitudes. He had just fed the multitudes from five loaves of bread and two fish. It was a miraculous feeding. And then he sent his disciples on ahead of him in a boat to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And, and they began to, to travel. And he said, I will meet you over on the other side. Then Jesus went up to a mountain by himself to pray. It was later that night, it said the third hour of the watch, or the fourth hour of the watch, I think it was, um, when all of a sudden the, the winds and the waves became very, very strong and began to buffet the boat. So there's, there's the wind and the waves buffeting the boat, and we can actually probably even put the boat a little bit more like this, like, uh-oh, 
Here we go. And they were all afraid. Then they saw something out on the water. The Bible tells us that Jesus showed up walking on the water towards the boat. They couldn't really see exactly who it was. They thought it was a ghost, and they were very, very afraid. As Jesus was walking towards them, he said, Do not be afraid. It is I. Actually, let's, let's move Jesus over here because we're going to need one other person in this story. And Peter from the boat said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come out and walk to you. And Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and began to walk towards Jesus. But the Bible says that when he saw the wind, he became afraid and began to sink. And he cried out to Jesus, Lord, help me. And Jesus reached out and rescued Peter. And he said to Peter, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And then they got back into the boat. And once they got back in the boat, the wind and the waves died down, and it was calm once again. And all the men on the boat worshipped Jesus, and they said, Wow, surely this is the Son of God. So that's our story. I'm sure that you have heard this story before. Let me ask you this question. Wouldn't it be awesome? Wouldn't it be awesome to be able to walk on water? Um, If there was a way for you to experience incredible things, to experience God's power in an incredible way, would you be willing to do whatever's necessary in order for that to happen? Would you be willing, if, if, you, if there was a way for you to see God's power at work in your life, would you be willing to do whatever it took in order to see something pretty miraculous happen? In this story of Peter walking on the water, I, I want to point out three things to us this morning that I believe that are very necessary to put into our lives if we want to see God working in incredible ways, ways that we would never imagine in our life if we wanted to truly walk on water, if we want our lives to serve as a testimony to God's power and his provision and his protection and the the, the way that his spirit enables us to to live for his kingdom. Three things that that I think are very, very important from this story. Number one, and we're in Matthew chapter 14, so you'll want to take your Bible there. I'm I'm not putting these things up on the uh, board anymore because we all have our Bibles. Matthew 14. Matthew is the very first book of the New Testament, uh, the first gospel, and you're looking for Matthew chapter 14. That's where the story comes uh, about. But if you want to walk on water, if you want to walk on water, there's three things that you got to do, I think. Number one, you got to make sure it's the master calling you. You got to make sure it's the master's voice. You, you know, if you look at verse 14, I mean, verse 28 of chapter 14, you, you read, uh, Peter replied, Lord, If it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Lord, if it's you. Peter has gotten a bad rap over the centuries by asking that question. If it's you, come on. Man, where's your faith, Peter? Come on. If it's you. Actually, I believe that Peter is just living out something that was commended of the Berean church in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 17, it tells us that the Bereans 
were of more noble character than the Thessalonians. This is when the gospel reached Berea. For they received the gospel message with great eagerness, and they examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul was saying was true. You know, that was commended of the believers there in Berea, that they didn't just accept something as, well, that must just be from the Lord. They made sure that they were listening to God's voice and only God's voice. And so they examined the scriptures every day. So, some people tell me, I think I heard from God. I say, okay, well, how can you be so sure that it's from God? You know, we, we live in a world where we're bombarded with a lot of different voices. You, you know, you, you've got uh, the, the, the talk shows on TV. You've got the, the talking heads on the news channels. You've got 3,000 ads on, on TV and the Internet. How can you know which voice is whose? Not only that, but Satan has been known to deceive believers before. In fact, uh, Paul tells us uh, that he sometimes masquerades himself as an angel of light. So sometimes we hear his voice and it sounds pretty good. I mean, that's how we got Eve. He, he showed her something that looked pretty good. It wasn't like he was showing her something really, really horrible and evil. It was just a piece of fruit. Not only that, but uh, I'm, I'm sure you're like me. Sometimes you wonder, is this really from God or is this just me? Is, is this my own internal voice talking? So if you've got the, the voices out in the world, you've got the voice of the enemy, you've got your own voice, how can we be sure when we hear a message that it's actually from God? I, I ran across this amazing illustration. Pretend like you just got hired up at, at an office in Anchorage, Alaska. And uh, your new boss tells you, listen, here's a two-way radio, uh, here's a policy and procedure manual, and uh, when you get up there, you'll receive instructions. So off you go, you, you move up to Anchorage, and once you get there, you check in, and, and your boss over the two-way radio says, now listen, I'm going to communicate to you through this radio, but you got to be careful because our competitors, they have access to this channel, and they've been known to, to try to trick our our folks before and to try to give them mixed up messages to, to sabotage our business. And so you say, well, that's great. How do I know then it's going to be you? He says, well, three things. Number one, you've got the policy and procedure manual. He said, I wrote that. It's highly unlikely that I'm ever going to tell you to do something that's not a part of that manual. So you got to know that manual in and out so that when I tell you something, if it, it's going to agree with that. If it doesn't agree with the manual, that's probably not me. Number two, he says, listen, you're going to hear my voice a lot. You're going to need to start listening to my voice because sometimes I might tell you to do something that is outside of the manual, not against the manual, but it just is not something that the manual covers. He said, listen, you're going to, try to, you're going to have to listen to my voice and get the, tom, the timber of my voice, the, the cadence of my words. You're going to get to know me and my voice. Not only that, but I have other uh, co-workers up there that they know me, and you can always run things by them, and they'll let you know if that's something that I would have told you to do or not. And he says, and third, finally, once you work for this company long enough, you're going to understand what our bigger picture is. You're, you're going to understand the, the, your purpose, and, 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 and uh, pretty soon, if I give you instructions, if those really fit in with who we are as a company and, and, and what we're trying to do, and you've understood that, then you'll know it's from me. 
if any other voice comes through and they don't uh, have the bigger picture in mind, then you know that you can dismiss that. Aren't those great guidelines? Well, wouldn't you feel fairly confident then knowing that you can know whether those instructions coming through the two-way radio were from God or not? Those principles basically are this. When you're hearing from God, you should check it out. What does Scripture say about what you're hearing? What does Scripture say about what you're hearing? Uh, there, there's a story about a young man who was, uh, this was back in the 1900s, again, early part of that century. He's driving one of these brand new Model T Fords. Uh, that's how old it was. And uh, he had broken down on the side of the road, could not get the thing to crank, kept trying to crank it. Pretty soon a, a limousine showed up. Old man gets out and uh, look, watches the, the young man, says, uh, you're, you're having problems. He goes, yeah, I, I've been here over an hour. I, I just can't, yeah, I can't get this thing to, to, to work. Old man, dressed very nicely, said, well, why don't you, and, and he gave him a couple different suggestions. Well, the young man was a little like, yeah, what do you know about this? But you know what, I've tried everything else, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. He does what the old man says, cranks the, the, the engine, and it, it starts. He goes, wow, how did you know how to do that? The old man says, well, let me introduce myself. My name is Henry Ford. I built that machine, and I kind of know how it works. Folks, God has given us his word. God has given us the instructions to, to live and, and how to live. He's created us. He knows the situation. He, he made us. He, he pretty much knows how it works. And sometimes in his scriptures, he will give us very specific uh, instructions. Sometimes he'll just give us principles that we can kind of figure out what he wants us to do. He will never tell you to do something, though, ever that goes against Scripture. That's not in his nature. So what does Scripture say about it? That's the first question to ask. Number two, what do other more mature believers say about it? We all should have mentors in the faith, spiritual people that we look up to that are, are helping us grow, uh, even pastors and elders. We need somebody ahead of us who we can bounce things off of and say, hey, listen, I think I've heard from God. Can I tell you a little bit about this and let them hear as well? It's, it's like in football, there's a fourth and one principle. When, when you're at fourth and one, you can pump the ball or you can do a quarterback sneak or, or, or something. But usually at fourth and one, your quarterback is looking on the sidelines to the coach saying, what should I do? Now, why is he doing that? Well, the coach has been there before. The coach has probably made mistakes before. The, the coach has learned from those mistakes and knows what to do in this kind of situation. Man, isn't it nice to have relationships that God puts into our lives of people who are on the same spiritual journey that we are, but they're a little bit more ahead of us. They, they serve like coaches so that we can say, hey, I know that you are somebody that, that produces fruit. I know that you're somebody who understands the Word of God. I know that you're somebody who loves me and loves the Word of God. It's a good idea to go to those people and say, I've heard this message. I don't know if it's from God or not. And hear what those people have to say because they know the voice of God. Number three, if you want to know if this is a message from God or not, just, just ask this question. Who's going to receive the greatest glory if we go through with what I've been hearing? Is it going to be you showing off and saying, oh, look at me, look, this is a wonderful thing that I just did? Or is it going to be bringing God glory? Oh, let me tell you something that is an encouragement to some of you, and it may be surprising to others of you. But when you became a disciple of Jesus, guess what? 
it's no longer about you. Oh, we don't like that. Well, we like it, it to be about us, don't we? Oh, we, we've got our rights. We've, you know, we live in a free country. It should be all about me. No. No, it shouldn't. When you die to yourself to invite Jesus into your life, it was no longer about you anymore. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not glory waiting for you, yes, in heaven, and glory waiting for you here on earth, but it's not glory for you as much as it's glory for Christ, and you are found in Christ. So as God gains more and more glory, then your life begins to reflect that glory. You want to walk on water? God wants to do miracles in your life to display his power. But better make sure that you're doing it not to show off and say, oh, look at me and, and, and get further on in your life. You've you got to be doing this so that God and his bigger story gets glorified through what you are doing. So if what I'm hearing brings him glory, ultimately I can have confidence that I'm probably hearing his voice. So I, I don't think that Peter's being uh, uh, foolish by saying, Lord, if it's you. I think he wants to make sure that this is the master's voice before he does what is being commanded of him. He wants to know that it's really the Lord before he acts. Number two, you want to walk on water? Not just to make sure that you're listening to the master, but number two, you've got to say bye-bye to the boat. Hello? You want to walk on water? Uh, there was a, a pastor that about 20 years ago wrote a book that I love called If You Want to Walk on Water, Get Out of the Boat. Makes sense, doesn't it? You want to walk on water, get out of the boat. And the author of that book actually presents the story as an illustration of failure. But it's not about Peter's failure. Peter did not fail, by the way. Think about it. Though Peter would eventually sink and, and Jesus would have to rescue him, Peter is the only human in history who went to his grave knowing what it's like to walk on water. He didn't fail. He got out of the boat. You, you can make a great argument that the, this is a story about failure. It's the other 11 guys who failed, who never got out of the boat. You see, our faith is risky. It really is. But it's not unreasonably risky. It's not blind. The, the Lord tells us in the Psalms, come, let us reason together. We have a reasonable faith. Somebody looks at this story and they say, well, Peter wasn't being reasonable. He just jumped into the water where the storm was raging. Ah, but you, you, you forgot. Who else is there on the water? Jesus is there. And because Jesus is there and Peter has seen Jesus do some amazing things, this is not a blind leap of faith. This is a step of faith, yes. It's a series of steps, but it's not unreasonable because what he has seen Jesus do in the past. He's seen Jesus' power, and he says, if you're doing this, I want to do this as well. When we look at men and women from the Bible who have faith, we see that faith requires them to take some kind of risk. That's what faith is all about, but not an unnecessary risk or a foolhardy risk, but it's a very reasonable risk risk. And if you don't do that, then all of a sudden you're not necessarily embracing what God wants you. By faith, Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son that represented God's promise. By faith, Noah stood out in a wicked generation to build a boat uh, in preparation for something that never had happened in the history of, of the world so far. By faith, David accepted the challenge from Goliath. By faith, Moses was willing to go back to Egypt 
though he was a wanted man there, to stand before Pharaoh and continue in leadership amongst the people who were continually stiff-necked and did not want him to lead them. But here's the deal about stepping out in faith. It's kind of scary, but it's really exciting. Folks, if, if you really think that, man, I, I'm not sure I want to be a Christian because it just seems such a, a boring life. Are you kidding me? Are you, once you've given your life to Jesus, you know what he'll ask you to do? That, it is one of the most wild rides that you would ever have. It's so fun. You, you think Paul was safe? Oh, my goodness. Read a little bit about what happened to Paul in his ministry. That's not safe. That's not boring. That's exciting. That's a wild ride. And that is waiting for us when we allow God to show up in a tangible way. Never seen a miracle in your life? I would argue that maybe you've never put yourself in a situation where you really needed God to show up. Not in a foolhardy way, but just in a way that he could gain glory by showing up and showing some kind of power. Maybe you've never seen a miracle because you've never needed a miracle. Peter was willing to do what nobody else was willing to do, what anybody else even thought of doing. And Peter got to experience something that nobody else would ever experience in the history of the world. You want to you walk on water? You got to make sure it's the master. You got to be willing to say bye-bye to the boat. And number three, you got to quit watching the wind. Quit watching the wind. Look, look at verse 30. Here it is, verse 30. It says, uh, um, uh, but when Peter saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. I, I like to think that at this moment, when Peter got out of the boat and was walking, and really the world kind of shrunk for him, it was just Jesus and him. I, I, think, I think, in a very good way, Jesus was probably very proud of Peter. Here's a guy who is willing to take the risks. I mean, maybe Jesus is even thinking, this is the kind of guy that I want to build my church on. Yeah, this is the kind of guy who's going to go out and do it the way I want it to be done, and he's not going to allow fear to, to, to keep him in the boat. But then something happens. Peter sees the wind, and, and really that probably means that he sees the effects of the wind because you really can't see the wind. And that's when he started to sink. Now, there's a couple things I want to, to take note of here. First of all, was the storm a surprise? No. The, the same storm was raging when Peter was in the boat. So the circumstance did not change once he got out of the boat. He knew that there was a storm. He knew that there was a storm. He had seen the waves and he had seen the effects of the wind before he got out of the boat. But once he was outside of the boat and he saw the exact same storm, that's when problems began. Number two, and this might be a challenge to some of you, all of my life I've been taught that Peter sank because he had lost faith in Jesus. He had taken his eyes off the Lord, began to look at the wind and the waves. Now, I have wrestled a lot this week about what the text actually says. If you, if you look at verse 31, real quick. Verse 31 says, Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him, and he said, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? Guess what it doesn't say? It doesn't say what Peter doubted. It does not say that Peter doubted Jesus. In fact, I, I think that if Jesus, 
Uh, if Peter had doubted Jesus, as it has oftentimes been preached, then the question is, is there, then why, if Peter doubts Jesus, why is the very first thing he says when he realizes that he's drowning, that he's sinking, is, Lord, save me! See, he still believes in Jesus. He doesn't doubt Jesus' power. He knows Jesus can save him just like that. He's seen Jesus do some amazing things. He has faith in Jesus. I don't believe that he's doubting Jesus. So what is Peter doubting? Oh, he of little faith. Why don't you go back in time to when you were a kid and you were learning to ride a bicycle. And it came that fateful day when your dad was telling you, don't worry, don't worry, I got you, I've got you. And so you started to do it. And then you had this weird feeling and you looked back and dad was not there. He was several yards behind you. He was not holding on to you. And all of a sudden, what you were doing all of a sudden crashes in. This reality that you were actually doing this. And if you're like me, guess what? Bam! Yeah, you fall. Now guess what? The next picture actually shows that the father's right there. Right there to help once you've crashed. Just like Jesus was right there when Peter crashed. But, but here's Peter. He's doing something that physically is impossible. That, that in his own natural power could never have worked. And he's doing it. I believe what he doubts is him, himself. He's doubting his ability to continue on in the supernatural way. I, I think that the fear and the doubt that the fear caused was actually Peter saying, what the heck am I doing here? I know Jesus can do this, but what am I doing here? Have you, has there ever been a time for you where you got out of the boat? And, and, and times that you showed faith in obeying God's word. But once you started to act out in a supernatural way, all of a sudden you realized, I shouldn't be able to do this. I'm just a, a, a human I have limitations. See, I believe that that's what the wind and the waves actually represent in this story, is Peter's own limitations. See, God called you and I and all believers, in fact, to, to follow him, to build his kingdom. He's called us to share the gospel with a lost and dying world. He's told us to put on his armor and to go on out and to take the darkness back for the kingdom of light. And if you think about that task, it's a pretty big task. And the enemy makes us think, wow, that's pretty daunting. I'm not sure you can do that, Trey. Uh, and a lot of believers, they buy that lie, hook, line, and sinker. And they begin to think, well, yeah, you know what? I am weak. <laughs> I, I, I haven't been trained at Bible college. I, I, can't, I can't do what God wants me to do. The wind is too much. The, the waves are too scary. And so then we take our eyes off of what God has called us to do supernaturally, because we start to look at what we can't do naturally. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him, 
that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us the wisdom from God and our righteousness and our holiness and our redemption. In this story, I, I believe Peter is beginning to understand that it is through God's power that he was doing something on his own that he could never have accomplished on his own. Therefore, he's doubting his own abilities. Up until then, faith in Jesus was very real, but it was more of an abstract reality because it was always watching Jesus do amazing things. Now, Jesus is inviting Peter to actually do the same thing, and he begins to wonder, can I really do this? My friends, if you have thought that, if you think that you're the only one who has ever doubted being able to do what God has called you to do, you are not alone. We all have doubts. We all have doubts in, the, in our own ability to do the things that God calls us to do. Stop saying you're too weak. Stop saying that you're too weak to be used by God. Because God doesn't call strong people, people who are strong in their own strength. Don't start this mental game saying, well, yeah, but I'm weaker than so and Pastor Andy. I'm not, I'm not like Pastor Andy. You don't know my struggles. You, 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 don't know, you don't know what life looks like from my perspective. You, you know what? You're right, I don't. And you don't know my struggles. So now that we got that out of our system, now let's stop making excuses. And what difference does that really make? You see, our enemy will always use those doubts to freeze you in place, to keep you in the boat, to make you sink, to, to, to not reach out in faith and to do the things that God wants us to do. He will use doubts to make us keep our testimony of God's grace to ourselves. He will use the doubts to stop the, the progress of, of the gospel. You and I, we cannot stand for that to happen, church. We are weak, yes. But let me tell you, watching the wind is not going to make anything better at all. The enemy is going to use that wind to drive us back to shore. We must keep watching the one who has called us and who will enable us to do what he has called us to do. Right now, I'd invite the worship team to come on up. We sing a song in, in some of our services that comes from this idea in Scripture. The Apostle Paul was all about spreading the gospel, about doing God's work here on earth, expanding the kingdom. And we read of, in the book of 2 Corinthians that there were times where Paul had his share of storms. And he was tempted to give up. But there were two things that he wanted us to know about those storms. Number one, he wanted us to know that storms come so that we don't rely on ourselves, but we can rely on the strength of God. And number two... He said that, you know what, sometimes God allows us to stay in our weakness because then his power seems even more powerful. Then when the kingdom does expand, it's not us who get the glory. It's not our church that gets the glory. It's not our, our, our ability to, to keep the law that gets the glory. It's God and his spirit who gets the glory. And so Paul tells us that God tells him, my grace is enough. My grace is enough, my grace is enough for you. So as we conclude today, let me just challenge you with this. You want to walk on water? God wants you to. God really does want you to. But make sure that you're doing what God wants you to do. Make sure it's really the master so that you know it's time to do what he wants you to do and what he wants you to do so that you can make sure it's him. Number two, you got to get, have guts enough to get out of the boat. Take a risk. Because where there is no risk, there is no adventure. And finally, quit focusing in on 
your own limitations. Jesus is right there. And the Spirit is empowering you to do the things that God is calling you to do. And always remember that His grace is enough for you.